When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Owning at the Anxiety podcast with me, Caroline Foran. My guest this week is psychotherapist and author of The Science of Sleep, Heather Darwall-Smith. She is so knowledgeable on the subject of, well, I mean, many subjects. She's got so many letters after her name. But for this episode, we're talking about sleep and insomnia and the relationship between stress and anxiety and insomnia, how we can become less stressed about sleep, because often when we try to better our sleep, we get stressed about it. That just keeps us on the cycle of not sleeping because we're anxious and then anxious because we're not sleeping. It is such a minefield. Heather totally diffused that anxiety for me in this conversation she has so many helpful tips that don't add to your list of to-dos but really just help you decompress and how important that is thank you as always for listening for your feedback for your reviews for your shares and do follow me on instagram i have a new page called at owning it podcast where i'm sharing lots more resources relating to the podcast so tips clips explainers so do join me over there and thank you as always Heather Darwell-Smith, thank you so much for being a guest on Owning It, the Anxiety podcast. It's so great to have you. I'm a little bit intimidated by the amount of qualifications that you have. Oh, gosh. Good morning. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, dear. Um, no, no, don't, don't, don't be intimidated at all. It's very impressive. You have so many letters after your name. You've done so much with psychotherapy and sleep and on the kind of crossover and CBTI, which I'll ask you about as well. I guess to start, can you just let my listeners know who you are and what you do, how you help people and how it relates to anxiety? Okay, so I'm Heather and I'm a psychotherapist and I specialize in sleep and stress. I wasn't always a psychotherapist. It's my second career. I retrained. I was an art director working in advertising and design, but I was fortunate enough to be able to to retrain. And I'm 
my passion is very much sleep because it, for me it's the ultimate in letting go and if we can't sleep it has such a detrimental effect on our health and finding ways to improve sleep and improve rest and reduce stress is so fundamental to our well-being so I continue to learn and there's always new research because sleep science is a very young science mm-hmm. um, and it's it's such an an amazing area in which to work it's tricky because sleep is tricky there's so much to it and it's like pandora's box you open one bit up and then something else comes out it's it's very very complex but it's also the one thing that we all do and biologically we are programmed to do and are you working one-on-one with people yeah very much so and they're coming into you with sleep issues or anxiety issues or I guess it's which comes first I suppose sometimes I like to see it as if you think about the body as a um a bottle of fizzy drink that's been really really shaken up the bubbles in that bottle are the stress hormones um adrenaline and cortisol so that builds up a head of pressure in the bottle and if you imagine what it's like you open that bottle, it explodes and it makes a mess. So the result can be what we term anxiety, that feeling in the body. But of course, it's also the disruption to sleep. And the two are inherently interlinked. And it's very, very difficult to know what comes first, whether it's anxiety or, or poor sleep. It's really difficult to unpick which one came first. For me, in my own experience, I have always been a very good sleeper. I'm so proud of my ability to sleep. Like I'm neither a night owl nor a morning person. I just would happily sleep. But when I started to experience anxiety or whenever I do, like whenever there's something going on, for me, I notice that the anxiety comes first and then I'm I'm up worrying about it. But then the lack of sleep just perpetuates it further. Then you get stuck into this cycle. Do you find what's common for most people? Yeah, that's really, really normal. And in some ways, it's really, um, if we reframe it and think of our body as it's trying to help us. So the stress response gets triggered when it perceives there's something it needs to pay attention to. Stress is, so if you think about it, stress is something we really care about. Mm -hmm. And for us to do something or there's a challenge, it needs that the body to sort of step up, if you like. So it triggers the response. So it will trigger increased cortisol and adrenaline. So if, you've, if you put it as tomorrow I'm going to climb a mountain, it's going to need that push to get you up. So it's perceiving it as you need me to be online, you need me to push and get up. That means I'm, my body's going to do this. So, but the, the result is that also means alertness, that means awake. So often we get upset maybe with our body because it's doing it, but in a, in a very odd way, it's actually trying to help us because it's it's receiving the information, something's going on, I need to be alert. So I'm awake and I'm ready for you. But it's not always helpful. Yeah. Everything I'm learning about anxiety is that there's just so many hangovers from evolution that don't apply anymore. To me, it just seems like if we go back to survival and that being our primary goal and how how crucial we know rest and sleep is to being able to be strong and fit to, to be able to fend for ourselves, it just seems like such a chink in the armor that like the stress would have the, that impact on our sleep when I know we need the adrenaline and cortisol to run or fight or be alert. But we also, as a result, the side effects, the more longer term side effects that depleting our resilience and really compromises our well-being. So it's interesting to me that our body has evolved that way to disrupt the thing we need most. It's true, isn't it? I mean, the, the evolutionary aspect it's really interesting, I think, that we do still sleep because it's, it, if you think about it, we're, it's, we're unconscious. We're 
potentially vulnerable to predators. And yet we have not evolved out of needing sleep. Far from it. The, our sleep need has not changed. We do need it. But I think what we've got worse potentially, I mean, I'm not saying that in um, cave times it wasn't stressful because it, it was, I'm sure, if you're worrying about where your next meal is or threat of attack, whatever that might be, stress would still have been present. But I think today life has sped up so much and we don't, we don't prioritise rest, we don't prioritise downtime, we've got a very much always on culture. And added to that, we've got a disruption to our natural rhythms, to our circadian rhythms through lighting, through being on screens all the time. And then from a sleep perspective, sleep's all, almost become a performance sport. It's like, yeah. I must get X, I must do Y. And actually, I'm always keen to stress the importance is, think of it like a roller coaster. If we've got something big and important to do, we've got to rise up, meet the challenge. We've got to come down and we've got to relax. That converse downtime matters so, so much. And we, we just don't prioritize it. I was going to ask you that next about their performance anxiety almost around sleep, which creates all this other anxiety. Like I personally don't like to wear anything that tracks my sleep. I don't want to be, I don't want to wake up in the morning and see that I had poor quality sleep and then be fretting about it. And then impact the rest of my day. Like you said, the performance around it has become almost a tool to like measure yourself with. And I find that there's a lot of anxiety around trying to better your sleep. Maybe it's not all that helpful all the time for someone who is anxious and is going to overthink and is going to measure their sleep in teaspoons. It's, it's, it's hugely important. I mean, it's that, that tracking that um, has a name when it becomes problematic. It's called orthosomnia. And it is very much, I, I work in a sleep clinic and it is very problematic when people bring in their data and they point at it and say, look, Heather, this is what's happening. Now, as yet, none of the trackers are accurate. They will get there. There's a couple that are getting close who shall remain nameless. Um, but one thing that's really interesting from a um, sleep perspective and the, the patient population that I see is the amount of perfectionism that comes in. It's almost like perfectionism and insomnia go hand in hand. Mm. So that measurement piece becomes really difficult. And someone's then tracking and believing that, oh, I haven't had enough sleep. I haven't had enough this. I haven't had enough that. Um, and measuring, placing it all on an external measurement system without knowing how they really feel in their body. Um, and it's, it's really, really difficult to start to unpick because these devices have their uses. Like everything, everything's got its pros and cons. But it, it does become really, really problematic when your whole measurement is based on this object, which isn't even entirely accurate. The other kicker in that, which is so interesting, when someone comes in and does a sleep study and they might say they're wired up to everything, their heart's being measured. It, it's a hugely complex piece when someone comes in to do a sleep study and they'll say, I didn't sleep a wink at all. Technically, we can then show them the data. Well, actually, you did sleep. And they're just absolutely no way I didn't sleep. Now, I'm not going to discount someone's experience because what happens is technically we can be asleep, but within sleep, we're in this lighter phase of sleep and can feel very alert and can feel awake, but are technically asleep. And there's a whole really complicated piece about. Um, sleep perception, also called paradoxical insomnia. So 
how we measure and think how much we think we get is often very, very different to what we're actually getting. And then, of course, it feeds the anxiety again and you go round in this circle again. I guess I understand the drive towards these devices. I'm not wearing one right now, but I like them for like the achievement of like, oh, you've got 10,000 steps today and you didn't even notice it. Yeah, I I stay away from it when it comes to sleep. And I also don't really want to be told like my heart rate's gone through the roof because then I'll panic more. I understand though that for some people it's, giving them a sense of control over something that when they're asleep, they're not really in control of. But would your first port of call be if someone is anxious or is struggling to sleep just to step away from that measurement completely? Very much so. And you've said something really important there. Um, When people trying to feel in control, sleep, you cannot control sleep. And that is part of the problem. You just cannot control it. You can only support it. You can support it. You can create the, the, the right conditions. I mean, there's, if you think about it, it's what we have to think about is there's, and you've allowed enough time for your sleep, the conditions, the environment is, is right, relaxed mind, relaxed body. Now, the second two are not easy. The first two are possibly easier. But again, that's, there's complexity to that. But sleep does its thing. It's a biological process that's just going to do its thing. If we've got the time and the, the, the conditions and we're chilled or chilled enough, it's not about perfection, sleep will just happen. But we can't then within that then control how much deep sleep we get, how much dream sleep we get. We have to really focus on the things we can control. And, and then, then we start to pick apart lifestyle. We're looking at, well, how much caffeine are you having? How much, when, when do you exercise? What are you eating? Is there... Have you eaten enough protein? Have you eaten too much sugar? I mean, it's, it's everything with sleep is really multifactorial, but sleep becomes the absolute focus. And of course, that's, that's the moment we try and focus on it. It's like shining a torch and going, I must do this. Mm-hmm. Sleep will go, absolutely not. Bye. I don't need that attention. So everything we're doing, we need to kind of just drop the rope and surrender to the sleep. So a lot of the things that are meant to be helpful are actually kind of counterproductive then in, in the sleep world? For some people, yeah. If, if you're someone who is very much in the perfectionism tendency, mm-hmm. what I often see someone gets very rigid about their um, wind down routine at night, the time they go to bed, the time they get up, and then they start to cancel things in life. Oh, I can't do that because I won't be able to do my wind down. Mm. And it becomes really controlling if you think of insomnia as a really hungry beast and you keep feeding it and giving it all the attention and trying to get things absolutely right, sleep will go, I'm out here. And insomnia will go, oh, give me more. I'll just keep taking. How do we know the difference between a couple of bad nights sleep or a light sleeper or actual insomnia? Like, can you help me define insomnia? The word alone is anxiety inducing. Yeah, it's... um. It's interesting. That's interesting, isn't it? Because then that, that gives us information as to what your experience of insomnia is. You have a, a sense of it's not great and it, then it triggers, it lights up a little center in the brain that has made that association. I mean, it doesn't get very much good press, does it? <laughs> no, well, no, it doesn't. And different people's experience of what insomnia is, is very different again, because for some people, two or three bumpy nights of sleep, they won't have any anxiety. They'll, they might say, yeah, I don't sleep well, but there won't be any anxiety attached to it. Mm-hmm. But for some people, one or two, three nights of bump, bumpy sleep will send them into a, a full anxiety and it, and it starts to then build. Technically, 
it's not being able to fall asleep, stay asleep um, consistently for, I think, three to four nights a week for longer than three months. Okay. The thing is, it's, it's so personal. If it makes you anxious, it's going to disrupt your sleep. And if your sleep is disrupted from anxiety, then it will continue to keep going around in circles. And are there people coming into you then, I imagine, who are saying, look, I just don't sleep and they fit all the criteria for insomnia. And they're like, but I'm not stressed. I'm not anxious. I don't know. Like I feel chilled. I feel relaxed. Like nothing's bothering me. Why would they be not able to wind down if the stress hormones weren't present? So many people are so used to running on hyperarousal that they don't even know they're stressed anymore. Okay. It's such a common state of being. Um, and it's a, and that can be really difficult to pick apart because someone will say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not stressed. And theoretically, they're not. And it may be that they're, they're not, but it may be that the level is just high anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, there could well be a biological sleep disorder sitting underneath it. Um, it may not be in some um, stress-related. It may be something like restless leg syndrome. Um, or obstructive sleep apnea, or it could be a circadian rhythm disorder. Just because someone comes in with sleep issues, it doesn't mean it's going to be always going to be insomnia. And so it's picking apart what might be under there is, is it's a little bit of a detective work that's so important so that you treat it correctly. What's your starting point? Like, What's the first thing you'd rule out if someone is presenting with sleep challenges? There's a series of um, questionnaires that people are asked to fill in to so because we want what we want to address is is it anxiety is it depression is it um sleep apnea those are sort of the big ones um and then we then look at lifestyle is it um oh is it or is it a circadian rhythm disorder so that's a cluster of biological sleep issues where it could be that your sleep wake timing is out so you're an extreme night owl, but you're trying to go to bed at the time that doesn't suit your biological clock. It could be that you're an extreme morning person. And again, society doesn't work for people who've got these extremities. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that you are sleepwalking or you have something called period, periodic limb movement disorder. So if you live on your own, you may not know you have them because they happen when you're asleep, but it wrecks the quality of your sleep. So it tends to mean a partner will say, oh, you're snoring a lot. Well, if you're snoring a lot, that's worth getting looked at because it could be apnea that will be wrecking your sleep and you can treat that quite easily. What is the apnea? Can you define that? I mean, I hear it so often, but I don't really understand it. So it's when, when you're asleep, the, basically the throat starts to close down and you snort or choke and then you wake with a start. But what it's doing is stopping the oxygen going to the brain for a very short period. Now, some people will have that two or three times an hour, but some people will have it 10, 20, 30, upwards an hour. Oh my God. They may be asleep, but their sleep quality is really poor. So they never, ever feel rested. They never feel like they've had a great night's sleep. Their partner is likely to be suffering from insomnia because their partner won't be able to sleep. And it's often we treat both. Um, and often people, people don't necessarily take it seriously enough that um, if that's going on, that does need to be looked at because that has significant effects on our health. Okay. But if it's something like um, restless leg syndrome, which is something you tend to be able to feel before you go to bed, you're likely to know that that's there. A sense of sort of 
people describe it as ants crawling under the skin. It's really, really uncomfortable. But if you've got periodic limb movement disorder and you sleep on your own, when you're, so your body's sort of jer- jerking and jolting in bed, you may not know about that you've even got it. But you might, you might know, I don't sleep well. So it's not always that it's insomnia. It's not always that it's stress. Yes, lots of people don't realise that they're stressed, but there could be a biological issue sitting in there. But then it might not have been stress related, but then they get stressed about it. Yeah. So it's always, I guess, always helpful to address stress and anxiety alongside whatever else you're looking at. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. The two always go hand in hand. We, we, we look to find, is there a biological issue? And then working alongside, okay, let's look at lifestyle. Let's look at what's, what else is going on. What can, we, what can we address to look at the overall picture? You mentioned there about society not necessarily fitting in with our sleep needs or what comes natural to us if there wasn't a rush hour at 7 a.m or whatever is there an ideal sleeper does it vary from first person because we all sleep at night when it's dark well hopefully hopefully yeah <laughs> hopefully we do, yeah um unless we sh- of course if we shift workers or new parents there's, there's people who have to fit in with daylight hours as well but it was so interesting there was, i think there's so much press during the pandemic about how sleep was a problem and anxiety and things was a problem. And yes, it was true. And it, it, it remains, remains so. But there were also a lot of really huge positives that came out because people were starting to find their natural rhythm again. Mm. They weren't getting up to commute, um, often in darkness, which is, is something that does also seriously affect our sleep. So they were able to get a much more natural rhythm going. and some people sorted out their sleep problems during the last two years because of the changes, because of the some people, some people it's been very, very stressful. For some people, it hasn't been. They've been able to let go of a lot of the, the stuff that's or a lot of doing, like showing up at the weekend and having to take the kids here, there and everywhere. Life became simpler and the rhythms became much more natural. And people definitely started to sleep better. But we all we all need different sleep. I mean, when we're when we're newborns, it's sort of fourteen to seventeen hours uh, a day up to. But when we're an older adult, when we're over sixty five, it's seven to eight hours. But it may be that five to six hours is appropriate when you're older, or nine hours is appropriate. Adults, as a rule, the recommendation is seven to nine hours. But you may be someone who genetically can get by on six. You may need more. You may need ten. More than 10, a bit questionable. Teenagers, for example, teenagers are my, is, is the, big, the big one. I mean, teenagers need, the recommendation is eight to 10 hours, but their body clocks tend to go later. So for a teenager, we're trying to get them to go to bed to get enough sleep so they can get up at 7 a.m. in the morning. But of course, their body clock says, I'm not even sleepy. It's not their fault. That is how they're built. Mm. So they may not be sleepy till midnight, but their body still needs 10 hours and then they're having to be got up at what six seven o'clock to be at school and function it's a very strange thing that we do to our teenagers okay so it's not their fault I'll keep that in mind when my one and a half year old gets there (laughs) it's still very frustrating with my 19 year old believe me but it and the thing is also what's really interesting about the teenage brain and sleep is how we have this sort of, okay, I'm a teenager, but the brain maturation process doesn't necessarily fully mature till we're in our mid-20s. So you may still have, and I do see this a lot 
um, especially with university students and people in their first year of work, they may still have a teenage sleep need, but they're trying to fit into a societal nine to five clock, but their bodies aren't built that way. So their bodies are built to be night owls, so they're built to be social, et cetera, at night. But they're of an age where they're trying to have an adult life, but their brain isn't working that way from a sleep perspective. And that's, that's very, that, that is a really, really big issue. I see a lot of problems in that category. I'm going to make my parents listen to this now and go back in time and like apologize for all the time they get out <laughs> to us for, for still being in bed. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A bit of a random question for you, but we always hear about not looking at screens, not having TVs and stuff on for, for not helping sleep. Why then is it so easy for people to fall asleep in front of the TV? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Um, we have a um, so we have sleep is, is two processes. So I'll just give you a, a picture before I answer it. We have a circadian rhythm, which is our, our sort of natural, every cell in our body has a clock in it. Um, and it measures, it, it determines our sleep wake time. It determines when we eat, determines so much of our biological processes. And we also have another pre- process where we build up sleep pressure. Um, caffeine is the thing that blocks it. Too much caffeine, no sleep pressure. But in the evening, we're tired, there's something hypnotic about the TV, and we often have a dip in that circadian rhythm. So we have an energetic dip. We have this natural drop. Um, And so we will drop off in front of the TV. But it's the timing, you see. So the timing of that light exposure is not as bad as if you get that light exposure between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. That's when it's seriously disruptive. But in the evening, you get this sort of energetic drop and you just dip. And then come back out and you may have a little burst of energy and and wake up, which is normal. And then you get ready and things start to drop again to go to bed. And and this rhythm is important because it goes up and down all the time. So let's talk through some of the non-anxiety inducing practical things that people can do. Maybe a little thing that maybe weren't aware of to begin with. Like you say from 11 p.m. then you want to not be near the screen. But 
if someone is already in a position where they're struggling to go asleep at night or they struggle to stay asleep or they're lying in the bed and they're worrying about something, where can we start to give them some feeling of being able to let go? Because you said that at the beginning, it's really the ultimate let go. Yeah, I like to work on sleep from the moment we wake up in the morning so that actually we're not doing all the work in the evening. If we're trying to then go, uh oh, the, the last hour before bed, now I'm getting ready for sleep. And then there's pressure and you feel anxious about it. And yeah. Yeah, take pressure out of it. My, I have sort of three golden rules. One is a fixed wake up time. That's like drawing a line in the sand and telling your body, this is when I wake up and don't deviate too much away from it, which a lot of people really wince when I say, okay, what time do you need to be up during the week? Seven o'clock. Okay, you're going to need to do it seven days a week if possible not Mm -hmm. asking for perfection but we don't want to be oversleeping because if we get to the weekend so the week we get up at seven and then at the weekend we get up at 10 saturday 10 on sunday that creates what's called social jet lag and on monday it's like oh now i've got to go back two time zones or whatever and that creates a state of anticipatory anxiety in the next the night before because you know that monday feels awful so really really focusing on that relatively fixed wake-up time the body and the clocks in every cell adore consistently and they will repay you in spades if you if you get that consistent timing in we have a little boy obviously and we're up out of the bed at half seven every morning seven days a week so i'm glad to know that there's some benefit it, it really is it's 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 one of the sort of primary ways to focus on on getting it sorted is is that then um we're Northern Hemisphere um, in, in the UK. So getting in the winter, of course, it's, it starts making sure we get lots of light first thing in the morning is part of also what sets that clock. So filling the place with light, um, people who really do struggle, it's really useful to use daylight lights. If you can get outside, I mean, it's getting lighter now, it's easier to get more daylight first thing in the morning. But getting lots of light um, really helps tell the brain, tell the cells, it's time to wake up. And what it's also doing, that consistent timing and that light is triggering an internal biological process 12 to 14 hours later in the evening that that's when the body's going to start producing melatonin, which is the sleepiness hormone. So this rhythm really matters. The other piece I ask people to do is um, get a decent protein-based breakfast and get moving. Now, it's not necessarily about getting out and going for a run or going for a walk. It may be just be as I've got music on in the kitchen and I'm dancing and I'm moving around whatever I'm doing, but it's about light, consistent timing, light movement and a good protein-based breakfast so that you start to, from the get-go, you're not flooding the system with a sugar-based breakfast, a cereal-based breakfast where you you get the blood sugar spikes. You're looking to settle the system first thing in the morning. That's sort of the big one. The second piece is, is the piece about working out, well, how much sleep do I need? And you can do that through keeping a sleep diary and tracking it overall. Um, if you're away on holiday, you can start to notice and track your timing and what works naturally. But not to the extent that you're using a device? No, it's much more important that you're almost just using it through what does it feel like rather than getting really targeted spreadsheets. But if you can work out so you think, right, okay, I need about seven hours sleep to function at my at well, well or at my best or whatever that might be. So, okay, I've got to get up at, tw- at seven. So I'm going to go to bed at half 11, 12 o'clock. 
and you get quite fixed about that. But there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. There's always going to be the, the late night out um, or whatever's going on or that you're going traveling and something's going to shift. But trying to keep that as good as possible and good enough really matters. Perfection, I, I get really freaked out when someone comes in and shows me a perfect set of data. I'm like, no, that's not what I want to see. I want to see good enough. Yeah, because then any deviation from that is going to send them into orbit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so then we just think consistency. Let's get consistent about timing. Let's get some consistent meal times in. Let's get um, a steady, steady diet in with not too much sugar really keeping an eye on the caffeine. Some people, and they are mutants genuinely because they've got a mutant gene, some people can drink caffeine till the cows come home. But a lot of us can't. A lot of us are really quite sensitive to it. And as I said earlier, caffeine is the thing that blocks sleep pressure and it hangs around in the body for a long time. So I'm not saying never have caffeine. If you really like really nice coffee, in the morning, sit there, have a really nice coffee, really enjoy that coffee, but don't keep having it all the way through the day. So really make a thing of the one that you really enjoy. And then it becomes really special rather than just something you're topping up on because caffeine is a really significant issue. And that's, that's in coffee, that's in tea, that's in energy drinks and that the use of energy drinks in the young in teenagers um, and Lots of people, especially who are doing driving jobs, the use of energy drinks is really problematic in, in the sleep world because um, you've often got the double kick of too much caffeine and too much sugar, which really, really is detrimental. And then is it that that's causing it? it you may not be anxious at all. You may just be wired from sugar and caffeine. You have to really take a holistic view of, of everything and get a clear idea of the different lifestyle factors, the nutritional factors. It's the same with looking at anxiety in general. Yeah, very much. It really is because your body's doing an amazing job. It, it perceives it need, you want it to be awake for a reason. So it's trying to help you. So help it to go, okay, well, actually, you don't need to be awake. Um, and by looking at all these different factors, I mean, another, another really good one is looking at the timing of exercise. Um, if you do a really intense hit class at night and that's the only time you've got time to do it, you really need to think about, okay, I'm never going to say don't do it because I want you to exercise, especially if that's the only time you can do it. But you might need to think about, I need to take time to wind down to cool down because body temperature our body temperature has to drop for us to be able to fall asleep mm-hmm. and from a, an intense class within sort of three hours bed you might still be quite hot so a cool you might need a cool shower you might need time to decompress and you might need time to have something to eat something protein based to restore it so it's thinking about the timing and intensity of what you're doing just to just to meet that need what goes up must come down the other night my little boy started crying in the middle of the night and obviously for any parents you're like oh my god <laughs> like heart, heart attack in the bed like oh do I have to go down does he need me do I have to go into him will he calm back down and then he did fall back asleep but I was completely wired then and then I'm lying in the bed and it's my husband has already fallen back asleep because he's much better than I am and I'm thinking, okay, your body thinks it needs to be alert because the baby, but the baby's gone back asleep. The cognitive piece around that, the way we speak to ourselves in those moments, I find it's like, you're trying to be a psychotherapist to yourself at your, at your <laughs> most tired, vulnerable, 
wee hours of the morning, that's somewhere I think could really help people is when you find yourself in that spot, something to say or reassure yourself with or things to remember to help you help your body trust that you can let go again. Absolutely. Because of course, the moment we start trying to analyze, trying to solve, the brain is going into doing mode. So it's waking up and going, oh, okay, you want me to do some work here. Um, so it's really, and it's really difficult because it's a time of night. We're not rational beings. The emotional brain's in control and that's not rational. That speaks a whole other language all of its own. Because it, trying to tell yourself, I must not think about this in itself at that time of night is just not helpful. Think of it in this way. Sleep is a series of four or five sleep cycles. And at the beginning of each cycle, there is what we call a sleep window where the sleepy hormone um, adenosine is at its highest over the night it does reduce so the last cycle it's it's harder if you've woken up but think okay i'm awake now there's no point trying to fight with this if you're really lying there and you're really anxious make sure you plan during the day i know i'm getting i know this happens to me i'm going to get out of bed i'm going to maybe go and keep the lights low go and get a warm drink just curl up and read a book, or there was a huge, huge trend during um, lockdown. People were building Lego models, whatever it might be that helps you to, it's not about avoiding, it's about decompressing. If I can go and relax, remove myself from the place that's making me anxious, I know that there's going to be another sleep window that comes along. And if I let it just go, it will come and I will be able to have another go at getting sleepy again. But if you lie there, and often people say, I lie there and I'm really still and I try really hard and I close my eyes really, and I'm really, really trying. It's not going to happen. Mm. For some people, yes, it does. But if it's really getting building, get out of there. Go and do something that's a little bit more pleasurable, a bit more self-soothing. I mean, you're, you're a mum. Think about how you are with your little boy. You go in and very quietly, keep the lights down, everything's very calm, gentle reassurance, um, whatever it might be, he might need a drink, you check his nappy, that sort of thing. In many ways, you're doing the same for yourself. It's, it's exactly the same process, but of course we're grown ups and we, we, we don't need our nappies changed, maybe or maybe not. But it's that whole piece of, can I self-soothe myself to go back to sleep? If I don't worry, if I don't get myself het up then it's more likely to come but of course if I am worrying then it's important I need to get out of here and know that there is a series of cycles and I'll get another opportunity to go to sleep then people say to me oh but then I'm starting to count and I'm thinking I've only got so many hours for tomorrow yeah and it's going to be a disaster please try not to do that because of course that's again it's that 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 loop that's going into the brain and going uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Rest is really valid. And so the next day, it's like, okay, I'm not on the game. I'm just going to give myself permission to be a little bit under par. And where I can take a rest, I will sit and put my feet up and maybe listen to a podcast for 20 minutes or go and go for a walk or whatever it is that helps me to decompress. It's building up a series of skills and toolbox, if you like, so you know what to do. My mother always said to me when I was not able to sleep, if I was scared or something, and she would say, look, let your body rest because that's the next best thing. And if you can rest and relax, at least you're getting that. So 
for me, it helps to, instead of thinking, oh my God, you need to be asleep unconscious. I'm like, oh, you're resting. Like, enjoy this rest. Enjoy not having to get up and go anywhere or do anything right now. I don't know if that's just like a cognitive trick or if there's any truth to it, but it helps me. It's a fundamental truth. It's brilliant. And your mom's awesome. Can she come and work with me? It's, <laughs> um, it's, it's so true. It's so, so true. Because remember what I said about um, when someone is in a sleep study and they feel like they're awake but actually technically they're asleep. Rest is so valid for the brain and the body to, it may be that you're drifting in and out of very light sleep, but it really, really matters. It really, really matters just to, to lay there and, and think, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm fine. This is, this is absolutely fine. I, I like my bed. I can just chill and there's nothing else I need to do right now. Rest is valid and it's almost the most important thing we need to focus on rest and relaxation because it's so important it's not about just focusing on that one hour before bed it's building in little moments of relaxation and decompression throughout the day and and not just climbing the stairs thinking oh jesus what's the night got in store for me yeah yeah i mean that that whole piece is is something that we really work to break down i mean one of the things if you think about it all through the day, we, we all go really fast. We're taking on constant information everywhere we go. There's literally from the moment we get up, we've got these devices that pour information into our brains. It's just everywhere. Just the brain is pulling, 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 pulling all this info. If there's no time for it to pause during the day, it will get to bed and it will go, right, you've given me some space now. And the thoughts will start to really run because it's desperately trying to sort all this stuff out whereas if we can take regular breaks to daydream for five minutes to just stand stare out of the window every hour I mean when people are working sort of back-to-back meetings I, I really ask them please don't please stop every hour five minutes get up from your desk stretch go walk around the room get a glass of water stare out the window count 10 things that are red it's so important to give the brain that space to just go, ah, it just, it, it's got to clear. It's, it, the brain is a very, very energetic organ. It's got to clear that metabolic waste. It's got to have time to just pause and shuffle everything around again. But we don't give it the space. So, of course, at night, it's like, I'm going to do it now. And it's just like, everything goes and kicks off you hit the head of the pillow and 50,000 things come up in the brain and it's like the brain's telling you you didn't give me the chance to do it so you need to pause keep pausing it's so interesting like I'd never put that framework on it but I'm always saying to people who are anxious like maybe they've taken a break for Christmas or they've gone on holidays and then they feel really anxious about something and it's like why am I anxious now when I'm relaxing? And like, well, you didn't have a chance to process. You were go, go, go. And also we're all a bit addicted to it. I mean, it, it's a very, it can be, okay, the experience might not be nice, but there is something enticing. We get that dopamine hit, that sort of go, 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 constant on. But it also often does something for our ego. It's like, I feel valued, I feel worthy. And if I'm doing, if I'm being, and all these things, it's got very deep roots. And this is where we get into work as a psychotherapist. Well, what is it that's driving you to be on all the time? What is the need to perform, to be, to do? It's, it's, it's a really complex piece, but actually we have, they have shown very, very clearly in clinical studies that downtime 
massively improves our productivity. We are way, way more effective if we take regular breaks. This idea of pushing through is just crazy when you think about it technically, how, how the brain and body works. It's, it's a bit baffling, really. You think, well, that's not actually how our biology works. So why have we got a society that does this? I don't know. I think we're, we're only starting to kind of wake up to that now, no pun intended, <laughs> that this <laughs> always switched on thing, which it's doing nobody any favours in so many different areas of life. Like it's the one roadblock and people feel like there's some sort of weakness or giving up in allowing themselves to just be or sit idly for a minute or even standing in a queue and not just reaching for your phone, but just to be able to just take in your surroundings. Like it's just, it feels alien to so many of us. And it's a social element to it as well. We don't want to be seen to be like twiddling our thumbs, like you say. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to give you the chance to tell people about your book around sleep. Now it's not going to make people more anxious about sleep. Well, I hope not. So um, <laughs> the, the idea behind the book was to take over a hundred questions that I'm regularly asked and to come back with an evidence-based response to um, how things work. Some of them are very sleep-based, but it was a, it's a huge collection of things like, well, if where, where, where do I put my bed? Does that affect my sleep? Um, through to sleep timing. It's, it's a real Q&A um, to try and clarify a lot of um, how I would work in the clinic. This would be the response I would give to be able to break down some of the myths that are out there. Like, for example, the eight hour thing. No, not everybody does need eight hours sleep. It's seven to nine hours and you might not even need either one of those. So it's, it's, it's all about breaking each of those things down into really simple um ways to understand it and because I was lucky enough and it's an absolute gift I tell you as an ex-art director to work with the publishers Dorian Kindersley it's a very visual book so it's very pictorial to try and bring it to life in a way that's very very clear as to and not scary this is how xyz works Heather, thank you so much for sharing so much of your expertise. I often think that when I have conversations about sleep, I'll come away feeling overwhelmed that I'm not doing it right or there's so many other things I need to consider. But I really love your approach of just letting go of the perfectionism, letting go in general. That's a really, really, really helpful thing to remember going forward. If people want to follow you or get more information or buy the book, is there one kind of central place we can send them to? Well, I have a website, um, heatherdarwellsmith.com, but my book is available on all major retailers, um, especially the, the big one that's online. Well, I can't thank you enough. And I hope that you'll join me again sometime soon. I'm sure there's so many more topics we could discuss together. Oh, I'm sure, but lovely. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.